I actually don't, I actually would like, I wouldn't care if Ricky became a villain. <laughs> I think having a villain, and I'm not saying he is, but I think having a villain is okay. We've I think having about a, that. I think how Matt is. Look, how, the, the, the angle Matt showed on the Rogan podcast that like a lot of us knew that that area was there and he, you know, we knew he wasn't forward with it, but he kind of opened up on some of that. Like good on him, whatever. Then he changed his tone once he started selling his programming, but that's different. I mean, now he's trying to be a businessman. Um, so my point is like, I don't care how any of the athletes, like I, I don't expect them to, now that you're at the top of the sport, you need to be an ambassador. No, just be you and do what you want to do. If you want to be an ambassador, great. If you just want to uh, do your thing, win, and just go off into the, the mountains and do your thing there by yourself, great too. Hi, my name is Scott Schweitzer and I am the Clydesdale. My friends Amy Radowski, Charlie Yodi, Kat Shear love fitness as a sport as much as I do. We are all 40 plus Masters Age athletes who give all we have to lead a healthy, active life. We also want to bring you athlete interviews, human interest stories, and all the news surrounding the sport of fitness. If you like what you hear, consider giving us a five-star rating and writing a review. We are also available with full video on YouTube at the Clydesdale Fitness and Friends Podcast, as well as all traditional podcast platforms. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at the Clydesdale underscore fitness and friends. And now, off to this week's episode of the Clydesdale Fitness and Friends Podcast. Thanks for checking us out. RX Mark Your Jump Ropes, the best jump ropes in the business. Our title sponsor and such great support from them. You can get your RX Mark Your Jump Ropes by going to rxmarkier.com. At checkout, use Clydesdale15, all caps, and you can get 15% off your order. Uh, you can buy jump ropes of any color, shape, size, uh, the handles, you can make those whatever you want. You can get the cable at different weights. Um, and different lengths depending on your height. So check it out at rxmarkier.com. Use Clydesdale 15 at checkout and you'll get 15% off your order. That does exclude new additions, new arrivals and special editions, but check that out. Uh, it's a great deal. In addition to that, they're also supporting our hashtag road to a thousand. If you subscribe to our YouTube channel, Clydesdale Fitness and Friends podcast, and you have a public profile. Every time we hit the century mark with subscribers, we're giving away a brand new RX Mercury jump rope. And Dave Newman, the owner of the company, has promised to throw in a couple extras uh, for that winner. So make sure you go over, subscribe, and uh, you have a public profile, and you may be our next winner. Hey, everyone. I got a secret to tell you. There's this really cool company out there called Element 26. We have partnered with them. Um, and they have some of the coolest equipment on the market for us CrossFitters, lifters, um, strongmen. Uh, so one of the products they have is thumb tape. It is like the best thumb tape on the market. It is flexible and it moves with you. Um, and it is very tacky and sticky. So great thumb tape. Another one of the products that I use and I love are their grips. They are chocolate grips. They are rubberized. And I'm a Clydesdale, right? I'm big. This helps me stick to the bar. I don't move. I can hang 
for a very long time as a big man with these on my hands. Uh, great for farmer's carries. Um, even my hands are big enough. I can even use these on a barbell if I want to deadlift. Just saying. No chalk, super sticky. Gotta love them. Uh, their website is element26.co. That is element26.co. Go check them out. So many cool products. We're going to keep showing you what they have over the next few weeks, but you have got to check this place out because they are constantly innovating um, and see what they have to offer. Um, little hint, check out the belts. They got a really cool concept with the belts. Um, you know that Velcro that always pops? They have a solution. So go check that out, element26.co, element26.co. Trust me, you'll have fun with this. Hey. How you guys doing? Good, how are you? How are you? Good, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for taking the time to do this. We really appreciate it. Um, I'm gonna give no you problem. just a quick little, quick little introduction of who we all are, and then we'll just get into talking okay. a little bit about the games and whatever else is going on in your life right now. Um, so my name's Kat. Okay. Um, I'm yep. a CrossFit coach and an affiliate owner. We've got, uh, I don't know which way I'm pointing here, Scott, <laughs> Scott Schweitzer. He is the, uh, the founder of the Clydesdale Fitness and Friends. We are all his friends. He started this podcast about two years ago and uh, works for the state of Ohio currently. We've got Amy Radowski. Amy is the co-director of a preschool. 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 She lives in Columbus, Ohio, is also an active CrossFit coach. And we have our boy, Charlie Odie. Charlie is a sales manager at a local TV station and also a competitive CrossFitter. We okay, are, cool. we're all master's athletes. Um, we interview elite athletes, we interview coaches, um, we interview event directors and, and folks in the space. Um, we also get together once a week and just do what we call as a round table where we just kind of shoot the shit about the sport and our lives and everything else. So. Um, you have been the missing link for us for a little bit of time since uh, we've been so focused on the games and everything. So thanks for joining us. Um, we, we did a recording uh, right after the games. We had the fortunate uh, pleasure of attending the games in person, all four of us. Um, and we did a quick little 20 minute sort of wrap up where we talked about like top three things we thought were awesome. And then maybe a couple things that we thought were opportunities for the games going forward. Um, you weren't available for that conversation, but we'd love to sort of bring you into that conversation to sort of get your perspective on, you know, things that you thought were really great, just at a high level, and then things maybe that you hope to improve upon. And we're happy okay, to cool. share some of the, some of the things we talked about since you probably didn't see that episode, but. <laughs> yeah, let's hear your, yours and then okay. I'll rip off of that. Cool. So our, our top three in no particular order, we talked about the, the overall pageantry and experience, right, for the fans. We, uh, you know, you guys always do a great job of sort of the look and feel. It felt like an international competition. It felt like a world-class competition. Um, and we thought the experience overall was great. Um, number two was the programming. And, you know, we probably have given you a lot of shit in the past on our podcast for programming. Um, <laughs> when it comes to, you know, things like wall walks and, and whatever else, um, you know how that goes, but we really liked the program. We thought it was balanced. Um, it, didn't, it didn't feel like maybe in some years past where athletes were completely wrecked after the weekend, even though there were 15 tests, like it felt like a fair, a fair um, contest. Um, and certainly that the, you know, the fittest were, came out of, as a result of that. 
Um, the third thing that we talked about was the season sequence, how you got to the season, you know, and how the, how things had changed from the open to the semifinals. We thought that was a really good path in terms of, you know, the environment with COVID and everything else and how that all worked out. And it had sort of a regionals feel, but, but not. So those are our top three. On the season format, it's interesting. That also for me is a, uh, is a big highlight because it was such a departure from anything else we've uh, ever done. It's very similar to things we've done, but not at all in terms of, you know, the three week open was a huge change. And then going from a three week open and then qualifying people to semifinals um, or let's call it a semifinal or regional like stage. Uh, the three week open wasn't for myself and for others as we discussed going to be appropriate to get people to physical events. And that's where we decided to add another layer for the top competitors, the quarterfinals. And uh, interestingly, I think that was a huge success. Like I really liked the quarterfinals. It, ex it gave everyone who's really serious about competing an opportunity to compete and, and with more, um, uh, let's say stiff tests, the open tests are stiff through intensity and through going hard but the loading on the quarterfinals can be a little different. And also the three week piece helped the open with affiliates because now they didn't have to uh, facilitate five weeks of um, open events for their affiliate members. So I, I feel like the three week version was a much better expression. And that's, I think we've said this already, we've said this in other places, but that's definitely here to stay. So three week open, quarterfinals, uh, into semifinals and then into the games. As you mentioned with the COVID challenges, another cool thing about the um, semifinals was that was like, there was a lot of pressure at different stages. So we created that plan, the, the semifinals, and it had a lot of flexibility to it. What I meant by that is we were gonna plan 10 in-person events and as areas or regions of the world shut down or whatnot, that event would just move online. And that plan was made early on, like this has a lot of flexibility in it. But what was happening was there was a lot of chatter uh, from outside groups, from inside groups early on before they even happened. You guys should just cancel them all and take them online and um, take that whole stage online. But that was not like the intent or that was not the, um, that was not the way to express that because built into that model, it had the flexibility to flex online due to local um, local mandates or local outbreaks or local restrictions. Yeah, exactly. And so it basically worked out almost exactly as I thought it would, meaning half of them went online and half of them happened in person. I think it was half. So all the North American ones happened, right? So that was four and then, or no, Canada did not happen, so that's three. And then one in Australia happened, and that's four. And then one in um, South Africa happened. So yeah, five. So five, five went online and five happened in, uh, in person. And so the, the resiliency in the semifinals that we planned into it to deal with COVID or the restrictions, I think was a huge success. So to the season and the flow of it, and how we got people to the games. Yeah, I'm really happy with that. And also the last chance qualifier. So if you didn't get there, like you had, you had plenty of opportunities 
and and it was fair, especially with the last chance qualifier, um, where we gave basically the people who were uh, who were one spot and two spots out of a qualifying spot the ability to qualify again. On so the they, programming, <clears throat> yeah. oh. yes, go ahead. Just just a quick question about that. So you talked about half and half. So half of them were independently run. Uh, semifinal events, half were programmed by you, CrossFit HQ. So it gives you two different data sets as to the consistent programming versus the independent programming. Have you looked into that to see like how both of them have kind of turned out? No, I didn't. We didn't like, that's a good question. We didn't dive into the programming, like how the five of our programming, how that base of people looks versus the other five. Um, because also, like, I don't want to say anybody, like their programming was appropriate and we looked through it. Some of them, you know, there's a lot of criticism of some of the semifinal events or some were too short or, or you know, there's some uh, some artistic things I could point out about some, but I'm not going to dive into them in terms of as tests because I, I felt like they all did a good job of getting the right people there. There's none of them that I think, and I don't think anyone, maybe there are people, but I haven't paid attention are saying, hey, this semifinal got the wrong people to the uh, games. Because fundamentally, at this stage, and especially at that level, those guys, and I've said this a lot about Matt and Rich and Tia, regardless of what programming comes out, the best are going to excel and be at the top anyways. Um, so, And I think, so what my point there is, the semifinals, programmed by us or not programmed by us. They all did what they needed to do and got the right people there, I believe. Um, so let's see, Tia was at an in-person, Brooke was at an in-person, um, people like the Canadians, Brent, and so Brent was not at an in-person. <clears throat> and you look at, okay, let's take Medeiros. Medeiros was at an in-person <coughs> and he, um, took second or third there and he won the games. Uh, Brent and and um, Vellner were at an online and they took second and third at the games. So yeah, it's interesting. It would be interesting to put those two, but, but I don't think there's, I personally wouldn't put much like there's anything to that in my eyes. Like I think they, the test, both tests, the online and the in-person did their job it needed to do to get the right people there. Okay. Unless, do you disagree? No, I just, I've, we've heard a lot of complaints about from even athletes that they like the regionals having a consistent programming across all the events. And so you had that with the online and then every semifinal had their own kind of um, style and substance to it. And so I just was wondering if you as HQ were looking at that um, going forward in the future. Well, that's a great, I mean, we've had that same, we've heard that same feedback feedback from athletes too. I don't think we're going to come in and um, dictate the programming for all the semifinals. I think it's a good, it is a good expression to let some of them do their own thing uh, or to let them do their own thing in general in terms of programming, but we're going to continue to give guidance. We gave some guidance. We'll probably give more guidance and maybe we'll even standardize one or two events. That would be cool. Yeah. And I mean, um, presumably so it's, all it's going to be somewhere in the middle, not necessarily Sorry, you're, you're delayed a little bit, Dave. I was just going to say, presumably, um, some oh, of those would be in person, too, next year. Like, we don't have to split five and five anymore. We can get all of these done, fingers crossed, at, you know, at the live venue. 
Yeah, I I hope, like you said, fingers crossed, all these events will happen in person, but uh, we'll see, right? Yeah, I mean, we thought after 2020, there's no way, you know, we're going to be in the same situation a year later, and here we are, so you never know. So programming, you were going to talk yeah. about a little bit about a highlight of programming. Yeah, so the programming of the games this year, I was really happy with it, too. I feel, feel like um, it, it was the one of the best tests we've ever done all around. And um, I don't think there were some things, there were some events where I was unhappy with how it played out. But overall, I think we did a really good job putting on a complete test of fitness that was, um, had a lot of variety and had, um, it was very fair. And I, like you said, it didn't destroy the athletes at the end of the weekend. Uh, and that's usually not like, I'm never like, hey, let's program this to destroy the athletes. Sometimes, like when you look at day one of the games last year, that was a pretty big day that, and that game that year was only three days. So it was much different than this year's, which was um, four days spread out over five. I think the, um, it's like, I feel like in terms of programming, I found a stride and it's like, it culminated with this year and it'll continue to grow, but like from previous years, like in terms of, and I'm like thinking back to where I do all this, like the method and the way and the system and how, and what I do to analyze and what I do to look at in creating and how much time I put into all of it. Like it all, it feels like it's all come together more so than any other year. Not to say that those other years were bad, but I think even internally, the thing that everyone else doesn't see, like the process to get to this point over the last three or four years was really being refined and modeled and, and figured, I was figuring out what I need, what inputs I need and what I need to see and how I need to see it. Um, over the last four or five years, I was figuring that out. And now it's like, I feel like the system I use internally and the people I lean on and, and the process to get to, to where we have those events is like, it's at like 90%, meaning it's, it can get better, but it's, it's really close to being what works best for me for the process of creating those events. Yeah. And the I events, feel like, I think we're really, go ahead. I was going to say I, I, as athletes and as spectators, you know, I think we really also felt that like we've, we've, you know, been on this ride and as fans for a while, and many of us have been competing in the open um and definitely felt like there was this groove or like like okay we've got something really figured out here it was it was pretty evident to us yeah do you think do you think yeah. you um sitting down and writing the book helped to sort of put that into a framework because you were forced to do so documenting it yeah the books the book and that's why i say four or five years because four or five years the book falls right into that period there were two things there are two really monumental things I think when I think back in terms of programming that really, um, sorry about that, um, that really set me up for success. There, there was a period when I lived in Carlsbad for about, so from 2007 to 2010, I was living in San Diego, um, near San Diego State. It's while I was still in the Navy. And so those games I was programming from my house in San Diego and, um, and actually the 2009 games, a lot of people don't know is, uh, or is it 2010, seven, eight, nine, the nine games. Um, no, hold on. 
the yeah the nine games i was programming from uh no the 10 games no 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 the nine games nine games i was programming from <laughs> afghanistan i was on deployment in afghanistan and doing a lot of the programming uh, from a quick a little did a little trip overseas and so i was working on that well well deployed um then I moved to Carlsbad, which is North County, California, or North County, San Diego. So it's about 45 minutes up the coast from San Diego. And from 2010 to 2008, I lived in, um, in Carlsbad. And there at my house, like, like I'm at my house right now, and I have a whiteboard. And actually, this is the whiteboard I had at that house. And so for about 2010 to about 2005 or six, I would program in my office, my home office like this. And then one year, I decided, and I'd have people test workouts and they'd come to my house and test workouts. And I decided, hey, I need a separate creative space. I need a separate facility, a separate office that is just all programming. And so while I was living in Carlsbad, CrossFit leased out a 3000 square foot uh, warehouse about a couple miles away from my house. It was like three or four minute drive away. And that was the Yarrow facility. And that like really helped me in I needed, I learned, I needed a space separate from my home and from my daily CrossFit work to go do the creative part of programming the CrossFit games. And so I'd have that facility, which you've seen, you've probably seen in some of the old video, not old, but some of the recent videos. Uh, and it was, it's dedicated solely to programming. And so I had a room set up with whiteboards all over it. I had um, a gym set up with testing for testing areas. And having the separation of creative for me was a monumental moment. Like, okay, I need a place and a time where I go to do this. So that was huge for me in all of this process. The second one was the book. And um, the book, because every time I started programming that year, I started writing. And oftentimes while writing, it made me think of things and it made me um, realize like what I'm doing or the systems I'm using they're working or not. So yeah, the book was really good in that, in helping me in this process. The book was a lot of work. <laughs> it was, it was a lot because, because like just every time I thought about it, every time I had ideas, I tried just jotting it down. The truth is it was more of a journal than a book. And uh, it was a book, but it was written in, it was in very intentionally a journal style um, book. That year, earlier in that year, I read a lot. And I had read a uh, Lil Wayne book, The Rapper. He wrote a book from Rikers Island while he was in prison. And um, it was a journal. It, actually, I probably have it right there. So I have, a, I have an area where I, I track every book I read in order. And for the last five years, I have every book. And I, I write in when I start reading the book and when I finish. And the average pages per day that I read for each book. So my book, books are all ordered in chronological order by completion. Hold on, I'll show you. Um, so it's in there somewhere. Okay, hold on. Oops, photo didn't take. Um, and so his book, so that's what I'm talking about. Oh, cool. That's just my bookshelf with all the books I've read over the past few years in order. Um, his book was that, his book was a journal and he had entries and he had entries throughout, um, throughout you know, his stay there. And I read that and I was like, oh, I can do this. 
this isn't too hard. Like what he did, this style he used, I should try this for, um, for, for a CrossFit games book, for a, game, a book about programming. So I decided to start doing that. The other thing that was really motivating to me was uh, I read shortly after that, I read a Tiger Woods uh, book. I forgot what that one was called, but it was his most recent book about winning the masters or about competing in the masters. And um, I ended up Googling like how many page or how many words was the Tiger Woods book. And it was like 60,000 or 50,000 words or something. And I was like, all right, that's my goal. I'm going to write a book that's 50,000 words. And I was on the app I was using, not the app, but the, uh, yeah, the app, the Apple, I was using, um, I guess it's called, what is it called? I forget what it's called, but it tells you how many words you've written. And so I was tracking that. I was like, okay, I hit 10,000, I hit 20. And then I hit 50 and I was like, all right, so this is easy. I'm going to surpass his book. And then I think I ended up with 120,000 was the final word count for the book. Um, so Tiger Woods, his book set, like kind of put me on a goal to try to beat. Since then, I've thought about writing others, but I, I, I just haven't committed to it. I just haven't like sat down. This year, actually, as soon as this game's ended, I thought about starting it then for this year, but I didn't do it. Now I'm kind of intimidated by it. I probably should do it just because of that, but I have to, um, I have to, I have to process and and also I don't know if I want to do the same style again. Like I don't know. Like I did that once. I'm the type of person like let me try something else. I don't want to recreate. I have thought about writing a book about the history of the CrossFit Games, so from 07 to now. Um, but that's also daunting too because that's just a like a monumental task in like going back and reviewing and. Um, making it interesting. So yeah, so there's that. I love it. I love it. Okay. So you want to hear what we, what we thought could be improved at the games? It's not really that much yeah. actually. So our, uh -huh. um, our biggest beef was really more around the venue and the concessions. So, you know, <laughs> it took us 45 minutes to get something to eat in the Coliseum. Um, and it caused us to miss part of the competition. It's very annoying. Um, didn't want to have to wait in those lines. Um, and sort of for people that only had like a festival pass and wanted to watch it outside the fit aid tent, a lot of the stuff in the outdoor venue like shut down once North Park shut down. So there wasn't really a lot of options for those folks as well to sort of be able to stay and sustain themselves because, you know, we have to eat constantly. Um, that was that was really, I think that and um, I said like exiting the Coliseum was kind of a pain in the butt too. Like I wish they just open all the doors and let everyone leave because we all had to kind of bottleneck into like one little entrance and it was kind of annoying. Um, but you know, if that's the worst of our experience, I think, you know, we're doing pretty good. Um, the third thing we talked about was water quality. So the, the, the athletes that kind of got bubble gut from, uh, from the water, presumably, um, don't know, I, I mean, I'm sure you've heard about it and have considered it. My joke is, you know, you have to have um, a bacteria resistant GI tract in order to win the CrossFit games. That's just part of the, part of the contest anymore. But, um, you know, thoughts on, thoughts on those. Think, uh, let me, let me, let me, uh, I'm going to interrupt you on that one. Um, it's interesting because, so the county and the local authorities are very on top of the water and like, the, a week before the games, they're like, hey, you can't do this. A couple of days later, they're like, hey, the water is completely fine. It's all about the algae. And it really like, that's what's cool about this. We're not, hold on. Sorry about that. 
we're not the ones signing off on the water. The, the local authorities in the county are, and, and they, they deal with this stuff on a regular basis because of people swimming, all the triathlons. And so to a certain point, like, I'll tell you what, the water's not, when we're putting athletes in the water, it's completely okay. We're not putting anyone in there whenever it's not. Um, there are issues of people, you know, potentially ingesting too much stuff and, mm -hmm. you know, potentially like compromising their system because of, uh, I don't want to say swimming improperly or, or just not having enough experience there. Close their mouth. But like, if you do, <laughs> yeah, well, if you drink, a, if you do ingest a lot of that water, yeah, you're probably going to have some issues regardless of how, uh, what state it's in. And so, right. so I, I, I really know, and I want to say that like, Hey, we're not like, yeah, the, the, the water is fucking not really good, but put them in anyways, because sure, it's sure. never like we're in contact, we're in daily contact with them. And uh, they're very clear with, Hey, the water is very a-okay. And now that being said, you know, fuck, I mean, I'll even talk about Bridges. I think it was the year Josh Bridges, everyone talked about the year he had shits. Yeah. I mean, how 19. many other athletes had? Yeah, how many other athletes had it that year? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. know. I didn't hear about anyone. And my point there is like one is not an indication of a problem. One of 80 is not an issue. One of 80 might be, um, it's definitely an outlier. Now, here's where I think we have an argument where like 40 of 80 or 45 or 50 of 80 have this issue. But like, I'm just not even seeing that. And that I don't know, because I don't pay attention to social media that much. And I didn't get any input from anyone. But did any of the individual athletes this year have any of those uh, issues? Yeah, I mean, we interviewed probably, I would say maybe half a dozen that we interviewed had issues. Um, you know, and to the point where they were pretty, pretty sick. But I mean, I agree with what you're saying. Obviously, the water was deemed safe by the government and, you know, and the, the local officials. And it's not like you're putting people, you know, knowingly in danger. But clearly, some people's GI tracts do not, you know, <laughs> do not agree with some of the flora that's that's happening in that water. And it almost like becomes another piece of the competition. You know, I don't know how you train for that. But it's just interesting to note. And you know, I just wondered if you know, you've got one more year there, would you consider like an indoor water event as opposed to an outdoor water event next time? Or yeah, had that even been considered? For that reason. But not for that. Yeah, sure. Yes. So indoor, yes, indoor water events are considered, but not to avoid what you guys are talking about. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> so if we ever do take it indoors, it's not because we are sensitive to the the GI tracks of athletes. <laughs> and even the six we talked to were varying degrees of illness and it's six out of eight is still not a huge number. Right. Yeah, also, it feels a little bit silly to be talking to a Navy SEAL about <laughs> the quality of this water maybe not being the best. Like, we'll shut up now. <laughs> yeah. There's also that aspect of it too that I, I think, yes. Like in yeah. my mind, I'm like, just where I came from, it's just like, whatever, suck it up. You know, right. I get it. It's, yeah. it's it, it says here, it says here, right in my notes, Dave, um, is having a bacteria resistant GI tract just a requirement to be the fittest in the world or are people being whiny? So. 
Yeah. We recognize that sometimes. I will say this. I do not think that has ever prevented anyone who is going to be the fittest in the world from being the fittest in the world or prevented someone who had the potential to be the fittest in the world from being the fittest in the world. And again, the most, even so, even those people, you use the word sick. Um, and I don't know if Scott, I don't know if that's the right word to use because sick implies some severity to like, I think they might've had an irritation or I think, um, cause here's what I'll say. None of those athletes to a large degree came to our medical team and said, Hey, I have an issue. I'm having trouble competing. And then our metal medical team brought it to us and said, Hey, cause, cause that process does happen for a lot of things. Like the athlete will tweak something. They'll bring it to the medical team. The medical team will flag it to us. That never is flagged to us. So if they're feeling a little off or they have some issues, uh, it's never major enough to affect their performance. Or, or let me say that to, to um, significantly set them back for the weekend. And if it was something that was causing them to be set back for the weekend, we would hear about it. And, and we don't, meaning they would talk to medical, medical would tell us and we would know, okay, this person got sick from the water. Right, that's fair. So any other uh, bottom bottom issues, maybe things you would love to improve upon for, for your last year in uh, Wisconsin that you wanna talk about? Um, yeah, the, the, <laughs> there's a lot, obviously, like there's a lot of stuff that I look to make better. There's some stuff, most of it I, I don't want to talk about just because it's uh, still processing and figuring out, but in, increasing the fan experience and the athlete experience at the same time, making those two better, uh, keeping the spectacle exciting, keeping the test uh, comprehensive and complete for finding the fittest alive, not, uh, not, not being stale, not stagnating, continuing to grow. Mm -hmm continuing to explore, continuing to make now, this is never the goal, but like, but it happens, but continuing to wow the athletes and the fans. Like, I, I mean, just like with even simple things like the handstand push-up standard and, and stuff like that, continuing to evolve the sport, continuing to push it forward are the type of things that like I'm thinking to make it better. There's some stuff at, at Madison that yeah, for sure are, um, there's, new so there's some new ideas and new things that i would like to do do there and try that we have not that are still um it's still keeping me excited for madison awesome uh, so awesome. i have one quick question before we leave this subject and that is you talked on the crossfit games podcast about that you have to think about the visual while programming just as much as the test itself and so um when you do that, do you think about that from a broadcast standpoint and a live experience, or can you just control the live experience? Well, both, but I think one plays into the other. Meaning like if you can build it for the, for the live experience, the storyline, the broadcast can make that also appropriate for them. Like meaning they, they kind of, they're, they're in alignment. And um, I used to, when we were at Madison, I'm sorry, not Madison, Carson, really all this stuff with like the visuals started playing out early, probably 2010, 2011, early in the games, I saw the, uh, the necessity and the priority of making it a good visual. And at some point I had this idea where I thought a fan for most, this isn't true for all of them, but for a lot of our events, 
a fan should be able to get up, walk away, get a hot dog, come back, sit down and be able to tell who's winning. And like, if, if I was able to build something or an event like that, I'm doing the right thing because the visual is appropriate and it's showing the race. Uh, another analogy I've played with in my head is it's like a slow motion horse race. And uh, so like, you know, with, with people and not horses. So they're all lined up and they're just slowly making their way. Sometimes it's not slow motion, sometimes it's really fast, but they're just making their way down their field, down the field and uh, the progress is showing who's winning. So those things, those, like we're talking about the last four or five years of, of the programming going through a phase of just like really refinement, that's not for, that's for the systems and for the method of making them. That's not for the visual. I, I feel like the visual aspect, that was really, priority was put on that eight, nine, 10 years ago, but, but we're always finding ways to make it better and improve on that and, and do other little things. When you're doing the, uh, some of the programs, do you um, take in consideration some of the athletes that are in the field, not, not necessarily in a negatively way, like trying to keep them down, but like, you know, for example, that the yoke event that T almost finished in the first round, obviously we didn't want that to happen, but you, you consider that when you're, when you're looking at it and saying, okay, I know this person's going to do well. Maybe I'll bump this up a little bit harder. Um, you know, now I don't consider, usually not individuals, usually not. I don't consider individuals. Um, and on some of those, like when you look at that yoke thing, like, um, yeah, that, that was not the intent for someone like Tia. She finished in two rounds. I think 10, about 10 men and maybe eight or nine women finished in two rounds. Then there was a big chunk that finished it in three. And then a, I think a majority, maybe a couple that, that took the four. Um, there's a fine line on that one because um, you could have gone too heavy on the yoke where it just like was unfair to a lot of people. You could have gone much lighter. I thought that weight prior to Tia and some of the others doing it, it was appropriate. Um, it wasn't the yoke though that was the issue on that event. The issue on that event in my creating it was actually the work in the beginning. Really, I should have had one or two extra um, med balls over it or five, five more GHGs. I needed that to take about um, 140 where it took them about 120. If, if, on the, if that would have taken a little more time, 10 more seconds, maybe even 15, she, she wouldn't have been able to get it as far and then it would have compounded and then it would have been appropriate. But um, no, I really don't think of, of um, individuals. Sometimes after the tests are done, you'll start playing the game of talking about like, uh, and usually that's only when there's a lot of people around like on our team. Oh, so-and-so is gonna do great at this. So-and-so is gonna do great at this. Um, but some, sometimes there's, there's workouts that are created where you think like only, so there's, let's say there's a field of 40. There's three ways with time caps, I think of a workout. Okay, I want everybody to finish. That's some of them, a good number of them. Okay, I want this time cap where only about half finished. That's less rare. And then sometimes we create time caps where only like four or five are gonna finish. Um, like for example, the, the handstand, although I thought more would finish that, only two finish that. The, and the time caps are all arbitrary. Like the, the, all these athletes obviously are capable of finishing almost everything we give them, but in the time cap, which is an arbitrary uh, number that we put on it for a variety of reasons, um, 
I do think about that a lot. Like what's my intent with this event and, and the time cap on that event, the one you just asked me about, I really, really, really wanted, I tried so hard to get it to be, uh, I wanted everyone to go to the four rounds, but again, the bottom, the first half was, was, um, off. So, and those are the things that eat at me. And those are the things that like, I try to improve on for next year. Like that's the, some of the stuff that I'm really, uh, focus on. Mm-hmm. I noticed Dave over the years too, the last event, um, usually has some kind of dramatic March at the end. Um, uh-huh. and, and I, I just wonder, is, is that deliberate? And if so, do you sort of, do you plan that last event first and then sort of build everything around that so that those movements are taken out of the equation? Cause I love the drama of some of those, you know, lunging movements or whatever it is can, you know, we've seen moments like the Tia and Kara ending that are just like, you know, your heart stops. So intentional? Um, those, are always, those are always like easy money, easy winners. Like, you know, you're going to do something like that and it's going to be a fan favorite. That being said, they're not always. <laughs> because of that, there was a point where I said, all right, I'm fucking sick of ending with a lunge or ending with a long thing and we're going to do something different. Uh, like that's how I, I'm trying to actually pull up um, some of the other games. And so even if you look at last year with at Atlanta, I mean, that had that was very different. And we made that a super long workout because we didn't have fans. And I really wanted to flip the script on how uh, we did things. And so that's why that was that way. This way I came back and wanted to do. Um, so it's a good question. You asked if I programmed from that and work backwards. No. But I put that at the end and said, we're going to end with some type of lunge. I don't know what it's going to look like. And then as everything else starts falling into place, what movements were going to be there kind of did fall naturally. So this year I did decide um, which that we're going to end with the lunge. Last year we Mm -hmm. didn't have that. Um, Hold on, I'm going to look 19. Um, And then let's see, 19. Yeah, 19 ended with the standard, it looks like, which was um, the 30 cleans, 30 muscle ups, 30 snatches. Right. And then 18, 18 might have been, is that the year that, let's see, 18 ended with the yoke carry. Okay, so that's kind of a, that's a good one to end with though. Um, but so yeah, it's not always that, but it, those are easy for that moment and they're easy winners for the fans on site and for broadcast and for everyone to watch. But you're right, but you're also wrong because I try to <laughs> deliberately go away from doing those. <laughs> I love it. So, oh, and, um, and on that note, at the, uh, let me just add this. I was really like at the semifinals that I went to, most of them ended with a lunge of some sort. And I was like, fuck, I don't know if I want to end anymore with the lunge because everyone else is doing it. Uh, but I still decided to stay on course because at that point I had that lunge idea already on the board. Like we're going to end with some sort of lunge. Yeah, I, I see that them as just paying homage to you and, and your brilliance because that's just it is it is a really dramatic way to end. And I, I love it. Um, so another piece that we talked about regarding the games were just sort of highlights from the weekend. And we have universal highlights like Annie Thor's daughter, you know, and, and that amazing snatch and the dominance of Mal O'Brien. Um, you know, Chris, uh, I was about to say Chris Bieler, uh, Scott Panchik and his, uh, and his retirement announcement, you know, beforehand and him sort of soaking up the moment um, and all that. 
from your perspective, were there any sort of standout moments that you observed that maybe we as viewers missed or wouldn't necessarily have cared about, but because you've got such a unique perspective, was there some kind of highlight or high moment that you thought like, wow, this is really fucking cool? Well, this is not a really fucking cool, but I, I think I talked about this on our podcast too. When um, one of the moments, most significant moments to me, like the Annie thing is such a highlight. And like, it's this amazing moment of the weekend and her, you know, standing up and, and the story that goes with that. Moments after that, I walk into the tunnel and uh, Tia runs in front of me and Tia just breaks down and starts bawling. And she was going to find Brooke and I was going to find Brooke. And like that moment of seeing Tia just complete, like not just crying, she was bawling. And like, mm -hmm. I was like, oh fuck. And it was just like, it was a powerful moment. And she ran to the back and I went to where um, Brooke was gonna, where she was, but all her family was there. She was in the x-ray room. I didn't go in. Um, all her family was there. They were all in tears and everyone was in tears. And that, that was just like a, um, a, a, a significant and memorable moment for me from the games because for me, oftentimes the, the moments that I remember the most aren't the, the athletes celebrating, but sometimes it's things like this where they're, that was very defining of the weekend for me in a very different way because yeah. of um, how tragic it was. So speaking yeah, of moments, you know, moments you gave the crowd, I noticed that you would take a hat, have someone from the heat <laughs> sign it and throw it into the crowd. Where did that come from? I've been doing that for a number of years. I think maybe three or four. I think maybe in Madison, I started that. Um, it's just a you, cool. You did that. You did that in Carson. I was in Carson in sixteen, and yeah. you were throwing your robe hats out at then too. Yeah. So I, I'll sign it, and then I have an athlete sign it. So it's just not about me, <laughs> and it's more about the athlete. And then I'll have the athletes uh, throw it into the crowd. And you know, like there's very few people at that moment that can get an athlete to sign a hat and throw it into the crowd. And so I can do that. And so uh, I leverage that. I ask them to sign it and, you know, toss it into the crowd and give something back, get the fans engaged. It's uh, just a cool little uh, twist I like doing. You know, in Carson too, I used to wear a lot of affiliate shirts and um, <clears throat> affiliates would give me a lot of shirts. It's funny because I, I really kind of understand now what the difference is with Carson and Madison in that regard. In Carson, the way the venue was set up, like I was, I would stand in the pits and there's fans like right behind me and everyone's like right behind me cascading up. And so people will just walk down and hand me shirts. In Madison, if you're right behind us or right behind me when I'm in the pit standing, you're like elevated and hard to see. So engaging and interacting with someone like me in the pits is way harder in Madison um, because of the way the venue is set up. But in Carson, it was super easy and people would like every five, 10 minutes, people would run down and just hand me an affiliate shirt. And then, so I went out of my way of trying to wear all of those, those shirts throughout the weekend at the games. That's not going on at Madison. <laughs> No, so sure. one thing I want to be clear. So I know sometimes you get a reputation of, you know, Dave Castro is a prick, but uh, what I wanted to share and make sure that people knew is as I've volunteered at many events and I have um, heard you witness you go and thank everybody and, and tell them how much you appreciate their volunteering for the event. So I just wanted to make sure to make that clear. Um, thank you. You're welcome. I also, I don't I mind. Love, I you don't love that. You don't mind being a prick. Yeah. 
No, I don't mind being a critic. I don't mind being a bad guy. I don't mind being criticized and all of those things. None of that I'm looking for or do deliberately. Like uh, I'm just who I am. And, and sometimes like, especially uh, when I'm hyper-focused or in, in uh, work mode, I'm not gonna say I'm a prick, but I can be really hard on people. And I push people and demand a lot out of people. And people on the outside sometimes see that and you know, maybe are critical of it. People also don't like some stylistic things of me, you know, whatever. Uh, but I don't, I don't care about criticism too much. I, I ignore most of it. In terms of um, criticism on like a, on a petty level, but when there is legit criticism of the event or the professional aspect, yeah, I'll listen to that. Sorry, Amy, go on. That's okay. No, I was gonna say, I totally respect too that you are very private about your family life. And I totally wanted to, to support that. I'm just curious though, is there a way, is there something like you like to do as a, as a dad or as a family, as a way to like unwind where Dave Castro gets to, you know, just be a family man, like go hiking or something like that. Uh, I have two daughters with one. It's uh, we play chess almost on a nightly basis. And uh, for a while I would win. She's only 11 and now it's pretty much 50, 50. She can uh, beat me most of the time, <laughs> not most of the time, about half the time. So that's one of the things I like to do with my youngest, with my older, uh, we watch uh, in the evening, we have a show we watch. So uh, we kind of, we kind of bond around some of those things, but I travel a lot. So I try to spend as much time with them as I can. And yeah, you, you said it, but I'll say it again, like keeping that aspect of, of my life private from early on in my involvement with CrossFit has been super important to me because early on in my involvement with CrossFit, I saw people start to come at me and start to talk uh, negatively about me and to start to attack me online. And so I was like, okay, I didn't even ask to be like, it's not like I started working for CrossFit and I'm like, I wanna be famous in this community or I wanna be a big uh, person in this community. That just kind of developed as, as all of CrossFit was growing and my role was growing and my role with Greg and the company was growing. Um, so seeing how people were and how mean people could be, I was like, there's no fucking way I'm gonna put my family forward and and like even like submit them to kind of any of this so keeping that separation for me has been huge priority and my family really appreciates it now at this point too and i'm really happy i do it i said this in my book i think and i say this sometimes but like i could go into a store right now and i could recognize i know jason kalipa's kids and rich froning's kids and Sevon matosian's kids they could be walking down an alley without their parents or an alley uh, aisle and i could say oh that's that's avi and i don't know if that's like a, i don't know if that's for, for my family i don't want that to be the case i don't want anyone to ever see my children especially when i'm not around and be able to say that's dave's daughter um so that's that's the reason and when they're growing up and if they want if they want that for themselves they, that's on that, that's fine, you know? Yeah. That's a, oh, that's go ahead, Karen. No, I was, I was gonna go back to uh, when you said that you can get angry at people sometimes, you know, if you're in the middle of, you know, a, a world-class event and something goes wrong or, you know, there's, there's an issue. Um, how angry were you at Herman during the, uh, the, the signage issue at the games? Oh. Because uh, I know this, and I, and I know Herman personally, so I, I feel like I can call him out a little bit, but I felt really bad for everybody <laughs> in that alleyway down there after that, because you were running late, and 
somebody messed it wasn't up. Him. And, it wasn't mad at him. Oh yeah. In the moment I was mad, in the moment I was mad at the whole thing, Anybody? but I wasn't mad at him. And ultimately that was on me. I was not, I like, and that evening we had a meeting in the, uh, we have a nightly boardroom meeting. And I went in there and I said, hey, everything that went wrong tonight was completely my fault. And it was completely my fault because I pressed us way too fucking hard. Like, I, and I do this, I do this to people. I do this to myself, but I do this to people who work for me. Like I push us really hard. And at those events, oftentimes I like to push people further than even they're recommending, hey, this is too aggressive. And I like to see us step up oftentimes and overcome that and uh this was one of those times where basically the schedule that i created the timing that i created for that event was way too fucking aggressive and uh, some people told me hey this is too aggressive and i said no we're gonna do it anyways it's gonna work and um and it didn't so ultimately like where every system herman's team and some of the other teams and every place that broke down it wasn't their fault. It was entirely my fault. And so um, I was mad um, at the moment, but afterwards, like I knew, like I was, I was trying to get it back on track and I, the yelling or the directing is, wasn't like at them specifically, but it was like trying to get things moving. So I wasn't yeah. mad at him. <laughs> yeah. He's a good guy. Um, so when you think about the level of irritation that at that moment, and compare it to how you felt during the ruck run in 19 with all those little sandbag piles back and forth. Cause I, I happened to be a judge at yeah. 2019 and I, and I got to see your displeasure um, of, of how that kind of pl- panned out or played out. So compared which one, you got all one the good pisses ones. you off more, right? <laughs> you got all the good ones. Um, yeah. I like to stir the pot sometimes. I think this one, did, this one this one did more than the ruck one because this one is like um, it really affected the timing and the schedule. And then the workout actually the the time cap was too aggressive on that too. And so like there was a lot of things. This one was way worse than the ruck run. The ruck ruck run was an issue, but um, for me not as bad as this one. Now all of this thing is all of these things. It's it is like you know, I, I've thought about what happened there with that event and even this will apply to the ruck. But again, like um, we're really pushing the envelope and pushing the edge of what we're doing and how we're doing it. And so much of this stuff, very few people don't know about. And so even the judges, even the, uh, or, or the volunteers for the theatrics and for the test, we keep a lot of this stuff secret. And so when it comes down to on-site, like you're not able to have four or five days with a team rehearsing exactly how that is going to go down. So um, sometimes when we're operating on this edge of, of secrecy and edge of, okay, you're going to find out a few hours before and you're going to have to get the system down for doing this. And the athletes got briefed on it an hour before and they're going to have to remember, like it really places a lot of stress on the system and we learn from it and grow from it and ultimately in all of these cases the test usually is not compromised meaning everything that happened on the clean and the run all this stuff we're talking about didn't affect the rankings or the outcome of the test and everything on the ruck like there was some confusion but it didn't prevent anyone from from winning that event or someone didn't perform worse at that event because of some of that confusion mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that's a good point, right? It's, 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 and all that tension causes tension, more tension, right? It's almost palpable. So it, it's like a perfect storm. Um, wanted to talk to you a little bit about ambassadors for the sport. So we've got like, you know, obviously Rich is a great ambassador for the sport. You've got Matt, you've got these past champions, Tia, great ambassador. And we were, the four of us were talking about it last night and we were considering the fact that maybe you don't have to be a champion necessarily to be a great ambassador for the sport. And we had some examples like Danielle Brandon, for example, she's on, she's on your CrossFit podcast and she's a great ambassador, but she hasn't won the CrossFit games. Like who are some of those people that stand out for you? And my follow-up question would be, can Ricky Garrard be a good ambassador for CrossFit? Uh, I think there's a lot of good ambassadors that aren't champions. And it, Noah Olson is a classic example. Noah Olson's a really good dude. And he's a good ambassador and someone who's like, who's never won the game. But also a lot of people like Josh Bridges has never won the games. Chris Spieler never won the games. And they're both, they're good ambassadors for, and I'd argue that there's some that have won the games that aren't great ambassadors. Um, Ricky Gerard, he, um, yeah, I think he could be a good ambassador. No, I do. I do too. It depends how this all plays out. It depends how this all plays out. And uh, meaning we're going to keep testing him. And we did test him through the last six months last year. And if he stays clean and keeps doing well. And, and here's, here's what I really like and respect about Ricky. Uh, he, throughout all of this, he didn't say, fuck you, CrossFit. I'm going to go become a bodybuilder and I'm going to become a powerlifter or I'm going to become a weightlifter. He kept crossfitting and he kept posting his scores and he did the open, even though he couldn't do the open and he posted his scores and he stayed around and kept training and said, all right, I'm going to come back. And like, there's, to me, I respect that. Sorry about that. And um, I really do um, wish him the best and hope he does well. And, and, and here's the thing with, but I will say this about ambassadors. Now there's just like, I think it's also okay if some of these athletes don't want to be an ambassador. What I mean by that is like, hey, I just want to compete and I want to excel. And like, if I don't really like, like if I don't fit into the mold or want to fall into this place of trying to be in a good ambassador for CrossFit, or what I'm saying here, let me rephrase this, said another way, I don't have that expectation of all these guys. Meaning if you choose, like, if you just want to win and then I'm not like, hey, now you got to be a good ambassador and you have to really, every individual has their own drive and their own things and their own way of doing business and their own perspective on how they want their image. And I respect that. I actually don't, I actually would like, I wouldn't care if Ricky became a villain. <laughs> I think having a villain, and I'm not saying he is, but I think having a villain is okay. I think, having a, I think how Matt is. Look, the, the, the angle Matt showed on the Rogan podcast that like a lot of us knew that that area was there and he, you know, we knew he wasn't forward with it, but he kind of opened up on some of that, like good on him, whatever. Then he changed his tone once he started selling his programming, but that's different. I mean, now he's trying to be a businessman. Um, so my point is like, I don't care how any of the athletes, like I, I don't expect them to now that you're at the top of the sport, you need to be an ambassador. No, just be you and do what you want to do. If you want to be an ambassador, great. If you just want to uh, do your thing, win, and just go off into the, the mountains and do your thing there by yourself, great too. Um, I, I think like, the villain thing is even more important than the ambassador. For CrossFit to grow, you have to have someone to root against. 
just like in the NFL, like people hate the Cowboys or people hate the Patriots. Like you have to have that person or team to root against. Yeah. Should be think, yes. Yeah. But okay. Here's the thing. I'll say this. I'll say this. Some people in our community struggle with the notion of there being a bad guy or a villain because our community is much different than the NFL. Our community is much different than the ball sports because like all of us do CrossFit and all of us, like not all of us, but a lot of us go to affiliates and like we're more tight knit. So I think some people struggle with the idea of there being an asshole or a villain or a bad guy. Yeah, and I can't imagine being at like the CrossFit games and having Ricky Garrard there and having people booing him. Like that, I don't think that would ever happen. You know, you're not, it's not like you're in Philly and they're throwing batteries at the pitcher in the bullpen, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I would hope not, you know, I, I couldn't imagine that there'd be booing, you know, unless they're booing you, Dave, you know, or a judge or something like that. I, but no one, no one's booing athletes at, at the games. And hopefully that's, that's how that works out. Um, quick question yeah. about masters. Um, I know we've, we're hitting up an hour here, so we won't take too much more of your time, but we're all masters athletes. Um, and, you know, there's all this talk about, it was awesome that the masters got, you know, onto the field and into the Coliseum this year. They weren't in the horse barn or whatever we were calling that secondary uh, location. But in essence, you know, you've got to run the CrossFit games as a business, even, even as a sport. And, you know, there's probably going to come a time where you're going to have to make some tough decisions about, you know, numbers and, and things like that. And will there be something else for masters and maybe age groups to do that's not in Madison, that's not the CrossFit games, but is that takes place of that. I know there's masters competitions in the periphery, MFC, masters legends, you've got um, the pit fitness ranch for teens. Um, what are your, what are your thoughts on that? Um, and just so you know, like I'm in favor of you separating them actually. So I have a lot of thoughts, but I'm not ready to share. Okay. But I'll say this: you're asking the right, you're asking the right questions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I and and uh, selfishly, I actually am part of the team at MFC to, to run that event. So I have an interest, obviously, in it in it moving too. Um, I just think it's 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 a great way to sort of celebrate those age groups and keep the keep the cash flow coming in, but in a different way. So we'll see what happens. Well, thanks a lot, guys. This was fun. I appreciate it, Dave. Thank you so much. Best of luck with your podcast. Yeah, thank you. Um, and we'll be tuning in to see what else is going on. Thanks a lot, guys. Bye, Dave. Thank Bye. you. Thank you for joining us on the Clydesdale Fitness and Friends podcast. Remember, you can find us now on YouTube as well as all major podcast platforms. Please go ahead and hit that subscribe button on whatever platform you use and consider giving us a five-star rating. Thank you so much for joining us and we'll see you next time on the Clydesdale Fitness and Friends.